Hey, Donnie from from Indonesia. Come on, you coach you coach open water swim, a lot of open water swim. I don't know if you, you can listen, you can hear me. Serge, I have questions for everybody, for you, it doesn't matter <laughs> who answers. <laughs> awesome. Actually, you have a staple for sprinter and for distance workout. Actually, the same is four to five weeks. Or you split for sprinter, for example, less or for tire a little bit longer. Or the same for everybody, four to five weeks. Oh, we start four or five weeks. We start tapering, we start resting. But uh, the distance swimmers, their volume is bigger, is, is, is higher. So whatever system, even though they're in the three-day system, uh, like let's say, I, I don't know the volume because I don't pay attention to the volume, but let's say that the distance swimmers are doing a 7,000-yard practice, 8,000-yard practice. When it's aerobic, maybe 9,000. When it's power speed, it's 5,000. Well, they start tapering from there. The sprinters might be doing a 4,000, a 5,000, and, you know, so they start tapering from them. And it's, it's gradually, it's, it's kind of a, a stair, goes like this, goes like this, goes like this, you know. It doesn't go like a, a line down, you know, because sometimes you want to stay in the same place and then you want to go down and then stay in the same place and you want to go down. Because in my opinion, what I try to teach the coaches or not teach, but talk with them, with the coaches that work with me is that, Sometimes, if you see that the kids are going too fast, then you need to stay in the same line a little bit and then maybe push the aerobic a little bit, you know, and then come down a, a, a day and a half later or two days later, you know. So you're playing like that. So, but the, actually, the distance will have higher volumes than, than the sprinters. Normally, during the season, We've, we've pretty much started practice the sprinters, the mid-distance, the distance all together, and we finish at the same time. When we start tapering, you can see the sprinters leaving before, a lot, a lot, a lot earlier than the distance, you know, or the mid-distance leaving, you know. So, so because the volume is is longer and the, the work is longer, makes sense. Uh, yeah. Go, yeah, go makes sense, but. For me, it look like, for example, is for sprinter, actually there will be speak up the taper is early than distance workout, actually, no, for me. Because oh, yeah. it's about the system zone and how they do recovery, actually sprinter will do recovery is more faster. So it's four to five weeks or do you need to do for them is, for example, short three weeks or for distance four to five weeks or you do it for everybody's four to five weeks. I, do, I, I do for everybody. Everybody. And then we change in depends, you know, we start at around the same time. And now some people, two weeks later, they have to go a little bit higher. And some people have to drop a little bit more. It all depends, you know, it, it, within the group too. You can have some guys in the group, some distance swimmers, that they're going to have to do less, a lot less work than others. You know, it depends on the body mass. Also, a lot of our focus is in short course yards. Uh, so you're talking about 22.8 meters per, per, per 25. So it's about power of the turns, gain of the walls, good underwaters. You can swim the mile, but you can have a good turn. If you have a good turn and you have two or three good kicks underwater and you can, you can save two tenths of a second in each turn, 60 turns, 66 turns, that's what, 10 seconds? It's like, well... You know, yeah, around 10 seconds difference they, just by the turns and the power that you can get of the turns that you can swim faster. So, you know, for us, it's very important. You know, in the summer, in the summer when we swim long course, you know, we, we taper the same way, but the sets are a little bit different, you know, because it's more a, a long course pool and the distance swimmers might, might want to, you might want to keep them a little bit longer in the water. Okay, I understand. Thank you. Yeah. And actually, also, it looks like you're walking a long time with the swimmer. You know what they needed. Actually, you can see what they can show. That's why you do is different things. But other things we have is different resource without recovery. Yes, recovery is not just swim and sleep. <laughs> yeah, recovery about the massage and uh, physiology and other, and other, and other things. Aspect. What about this one? If you have is 
in the club system actually yes like singapore we don't have resource to have massage or other other things in the school actually you have this is, is actually is help for them recovery and can do while of training keeping little bit higher or doesn't matter for you uh, for me for me personally it doesn't matter because i i, I was a, a, a top two in the world at one point and i didn't have massage therapist i didn't have any of that stuff so to me i'm trying to understand the systems when i was in singapore i thought that we gave too much to the kids they didn't they were not ready to understand all that because they they, they believe before they work hard the next day that they needed to have a massage that's a stupid thing you know uh, so to me it's not so important now for example we don't have massage therapist with us because it's too much and we try four weeks when we start tapering four to three weeks before the competition we try to hire some people so they come once once a week or twice a week and for two hours and they touch the kids for 10 minutes you know it's more a psychological thing because then you know when we go to the competitions most of the competitions we cannot take a massage therapist we, our budget doesn't allow us you know so to me it's a matter of like uh, also how you educate the kids you come from a country that yeah for sure you had doctors scientists very methodical type of training for me it was the same thing in spain I, you know lactate testing once a month it, it, we're talking about the 70s and the 80s bio 2 max testing you know i didn't have a massage therapist but you know when i went to the olympics i never got a massage because i didn't want somebody to touch my body that just two weeks before the competition that I didn't know. You know what I mean? So I think it's an educational part too. You know, those things are important, but they're not necessary. Like, if I make sense. So, so I, simple, simple is better. You know what I tell the kids a lot? If you're sore, if you get, take a hot and cold shower, you take a five minute shower where 12 seconds is, or 15 seconds is hot, 10 seconds is cold. And use the contrast, and you just move, and just stretch a little bit. Uh, co- uh, how you go? Expands and contracts your like um, your blood vessels, blood vessels, and and allows you to to wake up better and to recover better. Get your legs up, sit against the wall. Get your legs up, you know. Stretch a little bit. Go for a walk. Relax. You know, simple things that you can do. That I know. I know they work because that's what I used to do, and it worked for me. So it's a matter of an educational part. Many times we focus on things that we don't have. Make sense? And, and when the kids start focusing on the things that we don't have, they're going to fail. And you have to convince them that it's not necessary. These things are not important. It's like right now, we cannot do them. Who cares? Da, 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 we do this, we do this. And you try to make them special in a different way. And if you can do that, they'll soon, they'll soon go up. No, for youngest one, it's actually, yes, I'm angry because this development, the recovery is more faster than older one. But about the older one actually have this very tough workout and muscles and everything is fatigue is more faster. And if we support for them to recovery help, they will can recover and ready for next workout is more better, actually, it's more fresh. That's in an ideal world, yes. But how many people can afford that? Yeah, not so many, actually. So, and in how many places you have people that specialize in that? You know, I work, in a, I work in a university. We have, we have people that have gone into the Olympics in track and field. We have a very good track and field program. We have very good soccer players. We have very good basketball players. Uh, one of the guys just got picked by the NFL in our team. And we're limited with the resources that we have in the town. Like, for example, the pro group, like Farida and all these guys, it's very hard to find a, a person that's going to give them a good massage in this town and in many towns in America. There is a specialist on doing something. Like you might have them at the training centers or in the big cities, that, but it's, it's very hard and it's very expensive. You know? so, so like, you know, swimming, it's a middle class to upper class sport in many countries, like in the United States. But it still is very expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand. Th- think, think, that, think, think that in America, many kids, many swimmers, like for example, I am the cheapest coach 
in America with the pro, the prosecutors. Just you, you talk about coaches that they're charging anywhere between eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars a month for them to swim. Now, the eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars a month to swim. The the rent in some cities you can talk about eight hundred to two thousand dollars for to rent a room to, to rent an apartment. Food, transportation. They have to pay for every single meet. You know, on my I have seventeen pro athletes. We don't pay for anything for them. For us, they, they pay almost nothing. They pay one hundred twenty-five dollars a month. Some of them, some of them more. You know, up to five hundred dollars a month. But for that, with that, I have to pay a couple of the assistants that I have. You know, so imagine the expenses that these kids have. Some of them have part-time jobs in order to be able to work, to to be able to swim. So then you add hundred dollars once for for thirty minutes or an hour a week for a massage. That's another four hundred dollars a month. Supplements, no supplements. Food, no food. It is it's like so. And swimming is not a professional sport. You know, you, know, you have. Um, Kevin, I'm going to talk again about Kevin Cordes, but Kevin Cordes had a scholarship from the government. Right? There was uh, around $40,000 a year, but you had to be top 14 in the world. Top 14 in the world. If you were 15th in the world, you had nothing. Zero. So these guys... Have to get have to get money from their parents. Have to have part time jobs. Have to do something to be able to pay. Like, like in in 2018, Kevin Cordes was 15th or 16th in the world, so he lost his scholarship from from the from the government from the Olympic Committee. So he had zero. Like this, so many swimmers. So it's complicated. Actually, everything about the budget. Which one you have for the make is Olympic medals? Yes, actually, if you have trillion dollars, you can spend like you want. Actually, if you spend, if you don't have, you can use what you have. Actually, sure. <laughs> but but you know, like swimming is not a professional. It's, they call themselves professionals, but they're not making money. The poor guys are not. You know? So it's a you know I have. I have 17 athletes and maybe two or three are supported by their governments. The rest have jobs. Their parents are paying, you know, it's like they have to go and do clinics every weekend, you know? So it's like, it's, it's complicated. I understand to find the balance. <laughs> yeah. So anybody else guys? Could I, could I uh, ask about that, that stairs, uh, Paper approach. Could you give an example, like as a, as opposed to just going straight down? Like, let's say that uh, in a simple way, if the fifth week I'm doing five thousand five thousand yards a day, I, I'm just giving you an example. Eh? So when I start that week, I might go to forty five hundred, you know, and my goal is to maybe the second cycle of the week to go forty two hundred. Makes sense, but sometimes. If I see the days still need to do a little bit more, I still I I, I will be at forty five hundred instead of like keep going like this all the time, and maybe instead of doing it uh, the following week go to forty two or four thousand, I'll still be at forty five hundred, and then I'll go down, and then you know makes sense. It's just like kind of a step way instead of like saying okay, this is how I'm gonna go in a, in, you know in a more lineal way, you know. I have all mapped out how how it's gonna be. Make sense? So it's more like pam 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 pam. Yeah, got it. Thanks. Elizabeth. Sometimes the step is a lot longer than the you know than other weeks. I think to kind of add on that, it's kind of an organic thing within his groups. Like uh, we'll have within his middle distance group, you'll have your, your middle distance up, middle distance down. So that'd be like. If you're talking long course, like 200, 400, 200, 100. And some of those kids that are going 200, 100, they might stay, you know, if they're getting too fast, they're going to stay in that 200 level. And then uh, the same thing for the 400 kids, like they're going to stay up or they might come down. 
if that makes sense. I don't, I don't know if I'm describing that well enough. Like sometimes within his group, within a practice, it will be have the same um, variable in it, but there's going to be three practices for those three different groups. And we might watch a kid warm up or we're going to move him from the 200 group down to the, you know, he's not looking real good. He doesn't look real fast. Let's move him down. He's going to go 200, 100. He's going to get more time to the, the sprint group or a kid's looking really good. You're going to keep him up more towards the 400, 200, if, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm describing that well enough, Sergio. You can probably elaborate a little bit more on that. Well, the, the thing is, is, it's all about the eye that you have with the supers. Exactly. You know? it's, it's about, because like he said, um, sometimes you change the practice after 30 minutes of watching the practice. And you say, I have to cancel this because we cannot do this today because everybody's so tired. That, or, you know, because, you know, normally when you start tapering, what, what's going to happen when you start tapering with older guys? We're not talking about uh, 14 and, and, and down, but what happens with they start having pains on their joints, pain, pains on their ligaments, muscle pains, and that throws them off guard. If I'm tapering, why I have so much pain? If I, because we drop the weights, we're doing a totally different type of work with the medicine ball. So there's a lot of things, you know, and, and what I try to describe is like, for me, I'm kind of like the, the, the person that is trying to put oil in the joints. You know, you know, when you have a squeaky door, they like, so taper is like, for me, trying to put the oil in those joints and those ligaments so the door doesn't make any noise. So sometimes you have to, you have to be, you have to change the plan right away or you have to move one person from this from this group of training to the other and that's a hard thing psychological too because when i when you have competitive guys and out of the blue you pull one of it and you say today you cannot do this why i cannot do it it's like relax you know let's talk about it da, da, da. you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that and don't worry about it and it's it's a lot of talking and it's a lot of like uh, creating a relationship yeah. so that person feels empowered and feels good make sense so it's, 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 it's a game. It's a manipulating the mind of people. <laughs> Sometimes you don't know what you're doing. It's just an instinct. It, it is. I'm not trying to be like, oh, you know, because we don't have all the solutions. But you can feel it. You can feel something. You know, you know when sometimes you walk home and your wife or your girlfriend or your parents talk to you in a certain way and you know, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. You know? Well, it's the same thing with your athletes. If you really create that relationship with them, you know, and, 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 and then you need to be strong with that. It's, it's, it's something that comes from here. When you race, when your athlete is gonna race, you know what they need? It's hard. Willpower and hard. And when they go to the blocks and they look at you, they cannot hesitate and say, oh, shoot. Coach doesn't think I'm gonna swim fast. No, they need to go to the blocks believing that, you know, Coach Petra believes 100% that I can do this and I'm going to go and do it. And whatever happens, if that person doesn't do it, then you sit down with that person and you talk. And, you know, you don't walk away from, because the problem that we have as coaches is that when a swimmer doesn't swim well, we withdraw. We just, we're afraid, we're ashamed. Not ashamed, but we feel like, oh, you know, it's, uh, this is a reflection on me. And it's not. It's a partnership that you have with that person. So it, that's the moment. That's a very big teaching moment. So the next taper, hopefully that doesn't happen. And you need to go embrace that kid, sit down. What happened? How do you feel? What can we fix? What do you think? I, you know, and try to figure it out. Coach, um, uh, I see Coach Mark Chase on the, uh, on the Zoom. Um, and Coach Mark is working with uh, like our Paralympic swimmers in, in Singapore. Um, maybe uh, you could comment on sort of the, I don't know, if, if the differences or the challenges or, or maybe everything is um, similar um, uh, in terms of working with, uh, with your athletes uh, also at, at the highest level. Um, uh, perhaps you could yeah, comment on sort of their training, the taper. Um, uh, and the, the topic of massage has come up a lot, but um, obviously uh, uh, your, your swimmers have 
we're, we're all in the water, but they have a very different uh, set of skills and, uh, and of course, the challenges that uh, we, we're not faced with with our uh, able-bodied swimmers. All right. Um, thanks, Coach Gill, uh, for the question. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've been working with our Singapore Paralympic team um, and I've only been working with them for just, just about a year. I think uh, Coach Roland as well. I mean, he has uh, he he has swimmers training with him, uh, who are our para who are, who are our national para athletes. Um, I train mainly uh, Yiping Xiu. She's a world record holder, and she came back from last year's world championships with two gold medals. Um, and really, I think for Ping Xiu, uh, she has muscular dystrophy. So basically, uh, she has a degenerative condition. Um, and taper taper is is is, is quite interesting and, and for for Ping Siu and Teresa, Teresa just retired. She she made one of the finals at the World Championships last year as well. Um they they really conduct themselves like like professional elite athletes, you know. Um and training them, they, they come to the pool, they do what they need to do, they get the work in. Um and uh, I, I really don't feel too concerned about changing the way I taper them. Um, of course, last year, the World Championships was, was the biggest meet or, or the, 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 the only big meet that I had with them. And uh, with, with taper, it's about really getting to know your, your athletes, know, getting to know them. I mean, the moment they walk through the pool doors, I think a lot of the coaches can, can, can relate this. You know, you know whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day that they're going to have at training or even at competition. Um, Coach Roland and I, we, we were at Mallorca about a week and a half before the World Championships in London for a training camp. And I think we did a lot of good things there. Um, I think we also saw the different styles of, of the swimmers. And during that period of time, I approached the, the taper um, like how I would with, with, with any of uh, the competitive athletes that I have. Be You need to manage three things. One is the physical aspect of, of their, and I think that's what we're, we're talking about in great detail here. How do we actually taper, whether it's a drop taper or whether it's like, you know, staggering it, like you know, downward staircase, that kind of stuff. Um, but we also need to look at the mental and emotional aspect of it. And I think uh, when dealing with elite athletes or athletes that have been to, you know, um, world championships or Olympics, or Paralympics, you need to make sure that you know they 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 don't overthink it, or they don't get too excited. They they're not they're not, or they're not understimulated. And I think for Ping Siu um, and Teresa, we had a lot of long conversations about this on how we can maintain that energy throughout that whole period within that um, training camp into the campaign. So yeah, I I don't think that there's a big difference. Actually, it really depends on the disability of the athlete, and you know what you've what the kind of work they've done before the actual taper, which which um translates into what translates into what the taper is. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. I think I think you touch into something very important there. That it's the psychological side of the athlete, and it's not doesn't matter. The high-level competition, you know, when you talk about twelve and unders, you know, you can have kids that their parents are going through divorce, that the parents don't like that the kids are swimming, that one parent is not supportive. There's so many things that that will throw that swimmer away, you know, or have the pressure because the parent, the father or the mom was an ex-swimmer, and you know, and qualified for the Sea Games twenty-three times, and now the kid needs to be a Sea Game participant, you know. Um, or SEA Games champion, participant is not a real world. So, so that's a very important thing uh, to keep in mind, you know. I think, I think um, we have, we have, I, I see Doc, Doc Jang, hey, nice ball. You shave your head, huh? Well, I'm trying to, trying to get ahead of you because uh, trying to get ready for taper season. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to shave soon. But what do you think? We've been talking about tapering. Um, how, how do you taper your athletes? What do you think is a, like a couple of the two of the most important things that you think you keep in your mind when you taper kids? Um, so two things that I look for and uh, while, while I'm, I'm getting kids ready is uh, 
I look for how we reduce. So like Mark was talking about step volumes down. I don't, I generally only pay attention to the, uh, to the aerobic side of, uh, in terms of volume tracking, I only pay attention to the, the, the hard aerobic or the threshold side of, of what uh, our main sets are. So I step down threshold starting about six weeks out. And uh, then as, as far as like race pace and power volume, those level off about, about four weeks out and then drop every drop about two weeks out. But uh, really we're, we're paying attention to how their body is reacting and growing and changing because a lot of, uh, a lot to me, most of, uh, most of taper is not physical. It's uh, it's, it, it's mental and, and, and it's not even the body like physically recovering from things, at least in my understanding, it's more of your nervous system kind of just reforming from, from the, the stresses it's been, it's been put under. Um, so I try to pay attention to that. Um, in, and, and I get, I actually, for me personally, as a coach, when, uh, when they start feeling really, really crappy, uh, I actually get really, really happy and, and excited because that means that, uh, that means we've, 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 we've successfully dipped into a high recovery phase for them to, to, uh, kind of shoot out of hopefully, you know, within three to five days following that, 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 that low, low point. It's usually seven to 10 days of feeling that, uh, of that beginning of the descent into the, into the deep taper blues as some of them call it. Um, but again, going back, I went a little far, far there, but, um, you know, pay attention to, to how they react to the reduction in volume. Some of, uh, some of the, some of the kids actually don't and, uh, don't react well to it. So you have to keep up moderate or low end aerobic volume in general. Uh, you, they just need to know that they're, they're doing a little bit more and make it nice and easy, not too, not too challenging or stressful. And then, uh, then pay attention to when, when they start, uh, really falling apart in the water in terms of being able to produce speed and stuff. And, and everything's really built around that. So recovery of the nervous system, but not letting it recover too quickly. Awesome. Thanks doc. I don't know how accurate that is, but it's, uh, it's the way I've, I've been able to, to look at it. I, I think, I think, I think uh, like we said before, I honestly don't give a crap about what people think is accurate or not. I think it's what works for you, you know, and it's, it's, that's the important thing, you know, and, you know, you have a lot of experience working with all the ages of all the ages from younger to, to work class athletes. And, yeah. and, and, and I think you're accurate. I think, you know, like we talked before, I don't know if you were, uh, uh, here at the beginning of the talk, it's about uh, the psychology of you know and how keep people react and and how they adapt you know their nervous system and all that. You know, we're talking to me. A great example would be like when we give a kids three weeks holiday and they come back without training anything, and out of the blue they start swimming faster than they, they ever done, and that's yeah. because there's uh -huh. been some some adaptations, some neurological adaptations that allow them now to click so much better. So, you know. Yeah, I, I actually think that's, that's an interesting, like talking, you know, neurological adaptations, because I actually think it's, it's an interesting point because we uh, like technical changes and stuff that we try to hammer home and we try to get done with, with drilling and just deep focus sessions on, on, you know, the, just like, just taking breaststroke, for example, on, on making sure that, the toes are out at the top of the kick and they stay out as long as possible. Just little things like that, that we get frustrated because athletes don't, it's, it's simple, but athletes have a hard time picking it up and holding on to it in the moment. Those, that three weeks, that complete time away actually allows for those things to happen. So like, I actually think through this whole, you know, time away from the water, this COVID and, and all this other thing, I actually think, as long as we pay attention to what they do outside of the water and we don't let them, you know, explode or, 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 you know, implode more, more specifically, because we have a lot of athletes that are imploding emotionally at the moment because they, they've never had this long of a break from the water. But um, I think we're actually going to see a lot of our athletes in the middle to high end range come back better than they were before because they've had time for their body and their mind to catch up with the concepts that we were giving them. And furthermore, when we get kids that are back at the low end, 
they're going to be able to be a whole lot more receptive to these things because the stimulus of input has just completely changed for them. So I actually think this is a break that our sport needed on some level. It, I, I, I don't know what the effect is going to be. Nobody does, but I kind of akin it similar to, uh, to the super suit effect of 2008, 2009, where it changed everybody's idea of what fast was. And now we're going to be able to change everybody's, hopefully it'll have a positive impact and we'll be able to change everybody's idea on, on the importance and necessity of recovery, adaptation, and, and acquisition of, of skill sets in that manner, uh, simply because we're allowing our athletes to sleep more. We're allowing our athletes to recover more because we cannot stress them as hard without that pool uh, that we normally would. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. I know what's going to happen. We're going to be much better in the water than we were before. That's for sure. It's just a matter of trusting the process and just like you said. Like I remember, I think I gave you this example before, and we talk about this, dog and you and me. When, yeah. I came to, when I came to America, I couldn't speak English. And for three months, I bought a book, tried to t teach myself English, uh, got into school, and between September and December, worked in a kitchen, to try to learn English. And in December, I went back home. And when people asked me, hey, I bet your English is very good. I said, like, I don't have a clue about anything. I was so confused about the English. And I spent one month in Spain with my family, speaking Catalan, speaking Spanish without really thinking about English. And when I got back and got into school, I realized that my English was so much better. You know? and, and, and that was the first time that I realized, I know that I don't speak English very well, and I'm sorry. But uh, it was the first time I realized that, wow, uh, the break really helped me to something happen. I, I couldn't tell you because I was very young, but something happened between my brain and my body or whatever it was that allowed me to understand more and more English. Yeah. So, so I, I apply that to swimming all the time. And, but that's why I told them before, I think you were at another meeting, that in the summers, I, I, I wouldn't take my team to junior nationals, even though we, we won winter nationals for seven years in a row. But I wouldn't take them to summer, national, summer nationals, junior nationals, because I want them to have a break. Because in Florida, the high school season starts, started three or four days before junior nationals. So if, if they went to junior nationals, they come back, they have a break. So we will go to sectionals, we'll go to another meet, race at a high level. And only the kids that had a chance to make the national team would go. And sometimes we were, we were junior nationals instead of with 48 athletes with five athletes. And, you know. it, 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 that was actually one of my, like your story, you're sharing that when, uh, when I came to Auburn and, and spent some time with you, you're sharing that with me was one of the, one of the kind of leading moments in my life to uh, prioritize giving, giving the kids significant time away and taking kind of taking a leap of being okay i would give them you know i would give them two and a half weeks off at christmas instead of doing christmas training um i was in a different situation right but i i'd give them two and a half months off at christmas no problem right after junior nationals we'd be off until the first of the year i thought that was important get some time with family but then also like you said in august um I was in a different situation because uh, swimming started at a different time where I was. But uh, after Junior Nationals or after Junior Worlds or Junior Pan Packs, whatever it was, Pan Packs, I we would take we would take four to six weeks out of the water anyway, just to give them a chance to to have a life. And 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 they would always come back. It would take a little bit of time to get back in, but it always does. But they would always come back better and refreshed, and they were able to attack with a little bit more ownership of their swimming. So, you know, that, that like, not to get sappy, but that story you sharing with me and that time I spent with you was a very, very big turning point in my ability to, uh, to read the athlete and respect the athlete in, in terms of giving them time away from the pool, away from the team, away from swimming to actually help them become a better swimmer. Sure. And nowadays the athletes are so busy and I really believe you need to be a menace to society sometimes. So you need to be, make sure that you have free time that you go with your friends outside and that you can spend time with your parents, you know, and I think the parents appreciate when you can, you say, okay, you know, maybe we can all go on a vacation in April, 
but I can make it thing, make everything work so we can have a family vacation in August for two weeks, you know? So, so it, it brings a lot of positive things, you know, but, but thanks, thanks a lot, doc. No, thank you. And I, I think one of the coaches asked about nutrition during taper. So I'll, I'll just say something. And then if somebody else coach Edson, just ask something about nutrition. Um, in my opinion, nutrition during taper, if you haven't, if you haven't taken care, if you haven't taken care of your nutrition for six months or a year before taper, forget about it. I, I really hate when I go with the national team uh, and you have all these nutritionists all the time and they try to give you, you have to eat carbs and you have to eat this. And what if the kid never ate carbs? You know, what it matters is what you eat six months before the meat. So your body is really recovering well and is doing things, not what you eat two days before the meat. What you eat during taper or during the competition, it doesn't really matter if you like my training partner, my environment, they broke the world record six times in three and a half years. He ate McDonald's at every meet. If he could, he didn't eat with the team, he ate McDonald's because that his, was his favorite food and he always ate that shit, you know? And who wanted to eat McDonald's right before the races? Well, in America, many people, no? But, uh, but this kid, you know, thank God in 1992, we had a McDonald's in the Olympic Village and he was eating McDonald's every single day. And he, he broke the world record and he became Olympic champion. So, so I think, I think, you know, I think what's important is to know what you eat every day. And if you can have, you know, in some countries, in some places, the diet is not very good. So if your kid hasn't had a diet, a good diet, a simple good diet, six months before, six, seven months before, for a year, you know, the poor kid is going to be lacking iron. He's going to be lacking so many things. He's going to be, his training has had a negative effect. You know, so many things that, you, you know, you're not going to fix it because two days you eat pasta in a good steak. You know what I mean? So it's a long-term process. That's, that's my take. I don't know much about nutrition, but that's what I, uh, that's what I, I think. Nobody? No, I would agree. Sorry to be talking so much, but I would agree that like, uh, you know, if you need to be consistent with it is probably the most important thing, right? Like if you, if, if something's taking you so far or you do, and, and you're, you're next to the biggest competition in the world, biggest competition of your life, ex, you know, whatever, trying to change things that close to, or, you know, you're, you're changing so many variables and, and creating a shock factor in your system, you're going to throw off your ability to perform. So like, I, I, I would agree trying to change, change your diet when you are that close is, uh, it's like playing with fire, right? Plus also psychologically has a negative effect. I remember at the world championships in Barcelona we, in 2013 with, with, with Joseph, we're in a hotel, we had a, they were making our meals every day, but every day after dinner, we would get out of the hotel and walk to some restaurant, him and me, because he needed to eat certain type of food that he liked. And that was kind of like, make him feel good. It was not about, uh, and he needed to do that. And, you know, I understood. So after, the, you know, the meeting was over with the team and all this, we walk out, we go to a, a, one of the restaurants close to there and we'll have whatever he wanted to have. And sometimes that's what you got to do. Why are you going to fight to try to change your habits when they work? You know, you know what I mean? And um, the consistency is the very important thing. So Coach Edson, if you're listening, just make sure that you talk with your parents and you educate the parents about what's a good diet a good, you know, simple diet and how your parents can keep those kids always eating the essential things that they need.
Anybody else about taper? Hold on. I, I think I have. Uh, what time is it? It's one. It's eleven thirty-five for me. It's eleven thirty-five p.m. So we've been we've been chatting about taper for an hour and a half. So if nobody else has anything, we can talk about the next thing next week. You know. Um, I think. Uh, let me see. Does anybody have in front of them? What we? What's the next thing? Oh, favors test sets. You know. Favorite test sets. So next week we can talk about what you think works for you. Maybe have an example of a top set, uh, set that you like, and maybe help us. You can share it with us. I'll share one of mine, and then you can share one of your sets and why that set is important. Does it sound good? Yes. Is and nobody else has any questions about all this taper thing? I have one more question for you, um, probably more related to the mental side. Is there anything that you do? I mean, I understand that you're probably continuing most of the time from what you've done in terms of mental skills for the rest of the season. But is there anything you kind of do specifically during that taper time? For the mental side? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. We probably, and I don't know if I mentioned this with you guys before, but I do a lot of meditation and visualization where we start with teaching them how to breathe, you know, breathing exercises and then through the season and then we go into kind of like meditation and get into a stage that you can start visualizing certain things so by the time that we start tapering five weeks before we i try to go no no less than three times a week before practices and sometimes i go five times a week 10 minutes before we start the practice we get them into the pool we have a room and we put music everybody lays down on the ground and we do different things, you know, the first part, we usually I use two different songs. And the first one, we do the breathing exercises where they bring positive energy and excel negative energy and all these through colors and different techniques. And then the second music, the second song, I always have certain things that I want them to think about. Because after the breathing exercises, I, and they get into a stage of meditation, it's very good, they can induce themselves to certain things. So some days, I tell them just, okay, today, visualize and meditate how you are on top of the water when you practice. And the goal doesn't matter the type of set or whatever we do. Today, you need to feel and induce yourself being on top of the water. Another day, we'll talk about, okay, today, you're going to visualize your race. You know, like the conference meet is going to be this pool. They know it from six months before. Many of them know the pool. In the past, if they didn't know the pool, we take a picture of it and we post it on the, on, the, on the locker room. They can look at the picture of the pool and see themselves in that pool, how they warm up, how they go into the blocks and how they, they perform the race. Some other times we just talk about visualizing their turns, visualizing their style. Or a couple of times after the second song, I just talk with them about the power of a team, you know, and try to talk in a way that I can make them feel powerful, you know, like everybody, you have 70 athletes laying on the floor and you can, with soft music and you can really nail down certain things and make them feel so strong that by the time they come out of there, they, they're ready to go into the water and feel good about it. So we, we, we do a lot of that. Was that good, Helen? Yeah, pretty much answered my question um, just about specific things. So thanks very much. Is there anybody else out there that's willing to share stuff that they've done for like mental skills? Hello, Helen. Uh, this is Mark. I really, when, when I work on the mental skills, I work more long time unless there is like some kind of necessity. So I'm more into developing a process so somebody develops skills during the season. You see, Sergio, I know Sergio works with them certain weeks, but again, certain people expect people to be able to meditate or relax very quick. Let's say like, okay, two weeks before the meet, you put some music, people relax, they breathe better. It's going to help for sure. Now, 
for me, my recommendation is why not to place during the season specific time, maybe every week, to learn certain skills. Because then when you go to a high pressure moment, the skills become a habit. It's automatic. So you have the athlete be able to go to the big meet and something that will be hard to get in two weeks or one week can get it. Now relaxation, you can do it anytime. It's going to help you. But I have cases of athletes, of high-level athletes, they have now anxiety problems. And before they didn't have them because things change. So what do you have to do is, is help them to retrain the, the mind to set back. They still have this, the power and the skills, but now you need to give them tools they can use in training every day, every day in training, like you do physical. So then when they go to the meet, they can handle those moments very well. So they can even swim better than before. So to me, again, because I'm the mental side, and I used to be a swimmer, and I coach a little bit, but my part is why not every week? That's my question to everybody. Why not every week, even if it's five minutes in one year, how many hours is that? 10 minutes a week, how many hours of mental training? even for little kids, to teach them how to relax. Can you teach a kid, how says you did, like go under the water, relax, nine years old, 11 years old, you're teaching them something that in five years, they wanna do it so easily. That when you tell them relax, breathe, it's automatic. So for me, it's creating a habit. So some people, when you don't get two weeks before that and you do that, you know, they're even rarer, you know, they're, they're even better than before. Again, I don't believe in the two weeks unless you do a very good job and you put many tools. I believe in the whole season of doing specific things like train, mental training. That's my part. Uh, uh, you know, to jump into, piggyback into what Mark says, it's, 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 a, it's a process. It's a psych the psychology is like, we talk about this, it's like the psychology of, of tapering. A coach is more of a psychologist than a scientist. And everything that you do in training has to have a psychology component. You know? And for us, for example, you know, like for five weeks, we do almost every day. Before that, we do two or three times a week. But almost every day, and Peyton can say this, we have something when we either do some sort of meditation or thought process in the water, you know, for our athletes. And, and that's a very important thing. My case, I'm limited with the, the amount of time that I can apply. And I'm not saying that because I don't care about the mental side. But, you know, I have only 20 hours legally a week. When I have to, if I have a meeting with the kids for one hour, then I only have 19 hours. If I have to tell them something another day, or we talk about the competition that's going to happen and I lose 15 minutes, now I only have uh, 18, 18 hours and 45 minutes. If I do... 15 minutes of meditation every day, six times a week. So at the end, I end up practicing 13 hours a week. Make sense in the water? So you have to be conscious about that and you have to play with how you can do things. We do a lot of meditation in the water. We teach them how to think. Uh, we teach them how to understand their strokes. We teach them how to utilize certain skills or certain things so they can induce themselves to certain points, you know. And if you have more time, like if I was, when I was in high school with a ball school, we had more time. We had 26 hours a week that we didn't need that for high school kids. So we could do so much more. Make sense? So it all depends. You just have to be creative. But in your practice, the psychology, the mental training has to be implemented with the way you coach. And I want to add something because there is a thing that, you know, with, with the years, you know, quality and quantity. So the question will be, and I want to leave that for you guys, is like, do will help if I develop certain tools or certain things, certain elements as part of the training? Will that help to improve how much quality they absorb? Because every swimmer may do it differently, you know? You know, you have your quality sets and you have whatever that you put to do something else. And certain people, and I know for a fact, they, they lose focus, they lose concentration. They're not able to believe they can do things. So whatever you do, no matter what, they still have resistance. So you're not as effective as you can be because your swimmer is not effective managing the moment. Again, I go to that because I was a swimmer and I, see, I, I go to training to see Sergio. The, the, I watch things and I'm like, how, how come it's so hard for certain people to do certain things, simple things? 
So again, I go back to the same thing. What can you do? There are simple things like Sergio is doing that you can implement every day, even from young, young ages, that would allow you to do maybe less and have more results or having the same thing and even have better results. Or maybe really knowing the truth about a swimmer because sometimes you will never learn what's the truth about the swimmer exactly because it's very hard. But even less because the swimmer is not showing you what he can do in practice because he cannot manage the mental side. I have athletes that when they're able to manage the mental side, even when they are tired, and we know that, you know, we know that sometimes even if you're tired, you can perform, but even when they're tired, they, they can see even a higher level. They're able to do even a higher level because they're able to switch it and get even deeper. And if you do many times that, then you'll be able to go to a swim meet a competition and do it again much easier, even when the stakes are high. So I think for me, that's the thing. Uh, to think about it, to reflect. Everybody's different, but I'm sure everybody does it in a certain way. But how much we do and what are we putting there, that depends on everyone and maybe the culture and the location, how much time you have. Thanks, Mark. Um, anybody else? Anything else before we call it the day or the night? I'm going to show you how dark it is here. Look at that. You see? It's really dark. And my Netflix time has run away. I'm, I'm missing some good show now. <laughs> but, um, but you guys, I, I really thank you uh, very much for um, coming week after week and you know just having these talks. Uh, it helps me a lot uh, personally to think about what I do more and to be able to. I know I'm not the the detailed type of person that's, that's giving you all these stats and all these things, but uh, it really helps me and I thank you for that. And I hope that you guys are helping one another and we can keep go doing this, all right? So next week, be ready to share like a favorite set that you like to do. Taper, no taper, something that you like to do. It doesn't matter. Don't think that it's gonna be like, ah, you know, why I'm gonna share this? You know, we can always learn from one another. Training is training, right? So have a beautiful night, a beautiful, beautiful day over there. And what, what dog? I said thank you, sir. Oh, Appreciate. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, next time you see me, I'm not gonna look like him. No way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, enjoy the, the day and let me know if there's anything. You know, uh, I'm going to try to now do some podcasts. I've been doing some podcast live. I did one with Joseph Schooling and one with Ryan Murphy. I did one with Farida Osman today. They're posted on the, on the blog, on that thing that I send you. You can listen to it. And tomorrow I'm going to have the talks with the American people that sometimes we start with the same subject, but there might be different information because coaches might be sharing different things. So go, go there and... You're more than welcome. It's all free. You're more than welcome to download any episode or whatever it is and listen to it. Right? And let me know how it goes. Right? Thank you, sir. Have a, have Bye. a beautiful Thank day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you all.